0: All right, guys, welcome to another interview here with me, Sheena Williams from Krav Gas Salem. I am joined by uh, John Correa from Active Self-Protection. If you are not subscribed to this YouTube channel, you are majorly missing out. If you're somebody who's interested in firearms, self-defense, you know, and just real-world protection, you're missing out. You can stop this right now. Jump over to YouTube and subscribe. Uh, there are so many ways to get involved with this company and all the educational benefits from it. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, John, welcome. Uh, we're so glad and excited that you agreed to come on. I've been a big fan for a long time and uh, followed you for a long time. So yeah, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure to uh, meet with friends and uh, meet new friends too. So thanks.
0: So that being said, uh, obviously you know that we are based out of Oregon and for all of us Oregon nerds and Portlanders. Uh, John actually went to school at Oregon State. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: I did indeed. I am a Beaver believer, and uh, so uh, my first big boy job was in the United States Navy. And uh, I I joined the Navy in '95 and '97. I got picked up for a commissioning program, a very competitive program. Um, as a, I was a nuclear reactor operator. Sounds really cool until you watch an episode of The Simpsons, right? Um, and what Homer Simpson did is actually what I did. So. Uh, and i got picked up for this commissioning program the nuclear enlisted commissioning program and there was only 10 universities i could go to had to study engineering they had to have a nuclear trained officer there so there was only 10 of those and the closest one to home was oregon state um we also had the university of washington on the list Uh, i'm originally from the san francisco bay area and but the the folks at osu the NE department at osu man they were on me like a chicken on a june bug man they were like hey man we saw that you got picked up for this program we want you we have a scholarship for you we'll pay for your application fee like, we love you, we'll bake you a pie. Would you come and study here? And uh, that made it real easy. And um, I had an aunt who lived in Albany, and so uh, as well. So I had a little bit of family nearby. And so it was just a real easy decision. And uh, I studied uh, nuclear engineering in Oregon State. I had a weird, um, Uh, total experience there. Loved it. I mean, that's back when I was there from 97 to 2000 and if people have been around a while, 2000, Oregon state was like a fourth ranked football team in the nation in 2000. Like it was like the one time we were like, Oh, TJ, Husman Jadas, you know, he went on to play in the NFL and those things. And so it was this big deal and loved it there. Actually. um, My college experience was incredibly transformative to me. My wife and I uh, had our oldest daughter in, uh, uh, in Oregon. And then uh, I actually became a Christian in Oregon, and so uh, while we were going to Oregon State, and then I actually ended up not finishing at Oregon State. I am one class short of a bachelor's degree at Oregon State to this day. Oh, to and this
0: day.
1: <laughs> to this day. I could tell you the whole story if you wanted to, but just suffice it to say that once you have a master's degree, nobody cares about your bachelor's degree anymore. And so uh, I went on and got a master's degree uh, in an unrelated field, and so now nobody cares about that, that one class. That. Uh, because of me, I, you know, it's a long story, but, uh, I offended one of the professors there. And so she wouldn't let me comp out of this class that after I, I got reared by a drunk driver in 2000, about 16 weeks before I was supposed to graduate. And so, uh, it wrecked my back and I had problems with the Navy. And so then if I had finished my degree, the Navy would have forced enlisted me for five years and I wasn't going to allow that. And so, uh, I had to leave that one class undone. And then a couple of years later when I tried to go back and do it and figure out a way to do it while I was getting out of the Navy um, uh, she wouldn't allow me to do it at distance. And so it all fell apart. And then five years later, when I went back to try to do it again, uh, they had changed the degree requirements. And so they didn't teach that class anymore. And so I was like, well, great, why don't you just waive it and give me a degree? And they're like, we can't because your degree program requires it. And I was like, but you don't teach it anymore. So let me take something else at maybe ASU or something and and put it in. No, we can't do that. And so I don't have the degree, (laughs) but I'm still a beaver till I die. Uh, you know, my two favorite teams are the OSU Beavers and whoever's playing the Ducks this week.
0: <laughs> yes. And,
1: uh, right? I mean, you know, you got to have that that going.
0: For those of you who don't live in Oregon, there's a massive rivalry between the Beavers and the Ducks. And if you watch any sport, you probably know who the Ducks are. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Longest continuously played rivalry in college football today. Yes. So, uh, and I always tell folks, man, you don't understand. You don't understand what Civil War is like if you haven't been there. Because I was in Research Stadium when it was just rocking, you know, and, and oh, yeah. but uh, God help you if you take your car down to to Austin Stadium with an OSU decal on it for Civil War, it's going to get keyed. Like, oh oh yes, to... <laughs> because those those Eugene people, man, they're they're crazy. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, so my husband went to OSU. He went to school for chemical engineering. So even though okay. I didn't go to OSU, I feel like a big part of it because I did a lot with my husband there. My brothers played football, and so they played a lot on, on the the on Reaser Stadium uh, at Stadium. Yeah. So I mean, it's I, I feel very connected to OSU just because of that. Uh, my sister in law graduated from there. We're we're big Beaver believers around our house, except for my That's sister. They're right. ducks. I you know <laughs> I. So I
1: I love my time there. I have great memories of there, great friends from there, uh, some people that I've kept up with to this day. And so, uh, you know, nothing but great things to say about the great state of Oregon, other than the fact that that y'all won't recognize my concealed carry permit, but you know, that's not your fault.
0: It's not my fault, but I'm working on that with uh, the DC project and some other stuff we're, we're trying. So <laughs> uh, there used to be some good reciprocity a while back, but uh, it's, it's since kind of been quelched and that's, frustrating for some of us who do a lot of travel like myself so although yep. who knows how much traveling we're going to be doing in the following weeks. Not right now <laughs> so speaking of concealed carry you became a concealed carry holder back in 2006 so I mean you've been carrying for a long time but you didn't start active self, active self Protection until 2011. There was obviously some time in there where you were continuing to educate yourself, found some holes, found something that was passionate to you and built on it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I started carrying in 06. I mean, I grew up shooting. Um, my, my grandpa took me hunting when I was a kid, and, and we had guns in the house. Uh, my dad was a big duck hunter, but he didn't really take me duck hunting. That was his time. You know, that was kind of his thing. Uh, you know, I should ask my mom if that was because she, like, didn't, like, want me around guns or whatever. But I still went to my grandparents' house in the summer. We went hunting. We went shooting. So I grew up around guns. I started carrying in 06 because um, I was running a video game store while I was going to graduate school uh, to pay the bills. And the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 came out in 06. And managers, and particularly, I was running a game crazy. And the managers were, were getting hurt for them. People were getting they were going on the resale market, like an Xbox 360 was going for like a thousand bucks on yeah. eBay. And so managers were getting hurt. And I was like, nah, not me. Well, at the time, Arizona was not constitutional carry like we are now. They, they were shall issue though. So I went down and took my permit, got uh, bought the wrong gun, put it in the wrong holster, loaded it with the wrong ammo, put it on my hip. It was a, a magic talisman, a lucky rabbit's foot. About the same time, my son, who is now grown and married and uh, lives across the country, with his wife um he was a little guy and he's like oh we were homeschooling and so he was taking karate at the local community center as his extracurricular activity and he said oh papa come and take karate with me come take karate with me and i was like dude i'm going to graduate school i'm working full-time it ain't happening what about when you get out of seminary papa yeah okay buddy papa so at my graduation a uh, kid had strep throat sick to the world i've got my hood on i've got my mortarboard i'm feeling cool i picked this boy up who's dead sick he's like six and and put him on my uh, shoulder and he, he looks up and he looks at me and says, Papa, congratulations. Are you coming to class on Tuesday? And uh, okay, man. Yeah, you got me. Um, sure. Uh, and so I thought I'd do it for six months and just um, uh, have something in common with him. And um, by the time he quit, like, so that kid, he was six years old, then. He went straight through into high school till he was too busy with high school sports. And so that was like six, seven years later. And we just kept going to class together and kept going to class and kept going to class. and uh, here I am 14 years later. In fact, it's 14 years at the end of this month that I've been training um, and I just fell in love with it. And and I kind of have this thing, I got to be a continual learner. I always have that idea in me. And that, that got me started really training with handguns too, because it wasn't too long after. I mean, you know, this is somebody who trains, you know, you find out pretty quick, like, okay, I'm better than the average crackhead, but man, there are some people who know this stuff and I keep getting my butt kicked. And you know, then you get into bigger ponds, maybe you go to a tournament, or you know, you, you train with some other people, and then you're like, oh, oh, I thought I was something, and oh, these, these people are something, and I am nothing, okay. Uh, so now I gotta keep training, and I found the same thing with firearms. I was like, man, if I'm gonna carry this firearm, I, I need to train with it. I need to be pretty good with it, because otherwise it's a liability to me, right? You know, you figure every day you take that gun out of the holster and put it away in the safe, uh, it's a risk because you're administratively handling the gun, and uh, anytime that gun is on your person, uh, it's a risk because every time I'm in a fight, it's a potentially a gunfight because I bring the gun and so I better be good with it. And so I started training and I started taking some classes. Um, and then that gets expensive, like, man, all this training gets expensive. So then that's why I started the company. In fact, I didn't start the company because I had this grand idea that I was going to do it full time. I did it so I could write off ammo and write off classes. Uh, I thought, man, my core competency is teaching. I, uh, my, my job between leaving the military and, or leaving retail and taking active self-protection full-time I pastored a church in the valley for 14 years and uh so my core competency is teaching so I was like well I've always had an entrepreneurial streak we've always had a side hustle so I'll start the company just so I can write off ammo and classes and then I'll teach a few classes maybe make a few bucks and that'll let me buy guns buy ammo pay for my classes maybe occasionally and and then it just kind of the next thing and next thing and next thing and now I'm running the company solo so (laughs)
0: Well, and it's such a fantastic company and it does so much and it reaches out to so many different people of different backgrounds and really opens eyes. I've been such a big fan and I tell all of my members to go take a look and I actually give them homework. I'll post up specific videos and I'm like, all right, here it is. Let's talk about this. Let's, this was part of class the other day, you know, and so we'll we'll use those as training tools inside my classes. So uh, again, it's such a powerful tool that you're building. I'm so ex- like, Thank you. Uh, I'm so excited to have you on and talk a little bit more about it. Being an entrepreneur and having kind of made this transition in so many ways, and being somebody who's continually growing, uh, what have you found to be kind of the biggest challenge in that time from moving from retail into doing this full time?
1: Well, you know, I mean, there was two challenges there. So I moved from retail into full time vocational pastoring. I did it part time for a while. I kind of have this thing where, uh, other than when I got out of the military, which you know, it's kind of an all or nothing endeavor. Um, I've kind of always had a side hustle in this fact, this last couple of years, I haven't had one and I'm kind of like feeling itchy, but, um, you know, so I pastored after that for uh, a while. I taught at a local college for a while. I was a professor for nine years part time running that adjunct life as well. And so I've always kind of had my hand in multiple things and um, getting into the firearms world um, was interesting because I I kind of made this niche out of nothing. You know, this thing where people send me real life surveillance videos and I do after action reports on them uh, of defensive encounters just didn't exist and nobody was doing it. And so when I started doing it on a fluke, I can tell you that whole story if you wanted. it, it became this thing. Right. And so what happened was, is that what, what really went down is I, I, so I'm pastoring a church and I love that. And you know, I, I, uh, resigned my pastor in February of 2018, uh, just to focus on the business full time. And quite frankly, running a nonprofit drove me nuts. Um, I love being a shepherd, but I'll never work at a church again unless Jesus like picks me up and shakes me bodily and makes me do it. Uh, even then we'd fight about it. Um, but he, uh, um, so, uh, you know, when I was, uh, started getting into self-defense and firearms in, uh, 06, 07, 08, kind of the blue haired ladies, uh, from church on my Facebook, did, weren't really excited about me sharing self-defense stuff on Facebook. And then, so then Facebook started allowing, I think in 2013, they started allowing, um, business pages. And so I was like, cool, I'll just form a business page. And then that way I can put all that content over there. And then that, that kind of blew up. I just share articles from anywhere I found them where I was reading and training and learning and educating myself and videos and those things. And, uh, okay, cool, and so then I'll never forget the first time somebody from like Ohio commented on something on on the active self protection Facebook page. I was like, What in the world is somebody from Ohio interested in what I have to say um but okay, cool, man, I mean I'll just educate them where they are like i'll 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 try to make stuff that's not just Phoenix but is is nationwide and helpful for people. so I went on for a while and then uh, I started making memes. Facebook was big on memes for a while, and I don't mean like you know memes like we think about them today in terms of goofiness, but um, they were rewarding photo content and so I started uh, using Photoshop to make high quality ones like with good pictures and then like defensive messages and like like a quality picture with a quality quote from somebody or something like that for people to share around and, and be encouraged in their self defense So the Facebook page really grew got up to you know like hundred thousand uh, or maybe 60 70,000 subscribers and uh, and then Facebook started allowing video content and they were they wanted to compete a little bit in that video space uh, and, and I, I didn't really think much about it, but then somebody sent me a video of a real life knife attack that uh, some guy shipped his baby mama and you can dig back. If you, if you have the courage, you can go in the videos tab on the ask Facebook page, dig all the way to the bottom and you can find it. There's like six, 700 videos there. So yeah. best of luck to you. Um, and so all the way at the bottom and, and I'll never forget. Cause I like got, I was like, Whoa, that was crazy. That was like 2014. And I took that to my martial arts teacher. So I'm a student of Lawrence Robinson, the student of Skip Hancock, the student of Ed Parker, and senior grandmaster Ed Parker is the founder of American Kempo. Guy that owned the first commercial uh, martial arts school in America and uh, in California. So uh, Professor Robinson, he has, uh, he's currently a seventh degree black belt. Uh, Kempo's weird though. I know your Krav Maga is a little different belting system, right? Uh, in Kempo, there's like a bajillion people wandering around with 10th degrees. It's like they give them out like candy in some respects, but um i'll tell you uh, professor robinson lawrence he's a good friend of mine and um yeah i could call him and, and he dropped had move heaven and earth for me and uh, i wouldn't fight him I, well i have fought him several times so he got my butt whooped. um was a he fought on espn he's a uh, international champion like full contact karate uh full contact kickboxing dude dude's a bad dude like uh i super say how would you fight professor robinson with a baseball bat and surprise that's how i'd fight him uh, as long as he wasn't armed i'd be okay but uh i brought it to him and i was like this video of this guy shiving his girlfriend. And I was like, uh, Lawrence, what do we do? Like, I, I, I think I was a green belt at the time, kind of middle of the road. It's like green belt in kempo is like, uh, the very middle. It's like the cream of the crap, you know, the middle, the, the bottom of the top, top of the bottom. And, uh, so I was like, oh, I, I've missed it. I haven't seen what we do against this in my five years of study with you or whatever, seven years of study. And he was like, you know, let's workshop that. Let's just see what we need to do. Cause I don't know that we have that particular attack, uh, thought about in the system. Like a lot of martial arts, you know, it's like the guy goes and sticks the knife out there and just sits there and waits for you to beat the tar out of it. It's kind of no no actual resistance, kind of no actual intent, you know, and those things, no pressure testing. And so we we did, and, and I was like, wow, that was really useful. Like we actually that we used this what happened to somebody to inform our training. Well, that's kind of cool. So then I posted it to the Facebook page. Hey guys, watch this. This is how a real knife attack goes. Like, and it blew up. Like it was like, oh wow. So then uh what happened from there was I started typing little descriptions in I posted and I'd be like hey think about this you know here's a here's a self defense principle in here in the descriptions then I, somebody sent me one that was like 5 minutes long it was ridiculous uh it was like 4 minutes and 30 seconds of nothing and then 30 seconds of action and I was like dude I got to find a way to cut that out and I knew I had a program on my laptop uh that I could edit video but I know how to use it so to the youtubes right and how to use adobe premiere go and I watched the basic tutorial. And in that basic tutorial, it included um, a couple things. And one of them was how to record audio in Premiere. And I had a laptop up and I was like, oh, what if that works? Click. Yeah, here, this, this is all. Hey, look, my voice is on there. I was like, well, instead of typing it in the descriptions, I could just put it on here and make it an audio. And I'd be like, the John Madden of on-camera violence. That would be kind of cool. Well, let's try it and see how it goes. So I did one and it was like, whoa, people were like, holy cow, you know, this is amazing. and This is totally life-changing. Uh, and I was like, Oh, okay. So let's do a couple of those. So I started doing them and the Facebook page went bazonkers. And uh, it was a couple years after that, 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 uh, so that was in October of 2014 that we started doing videos on the Facebook page. And it wasn't until April of 2016, I had a YouTube channel, but I didn't really do anything with it. Uh, I had a couple of videos on it, old stock and stuff like that. And then I got an email from Google that was like, Hey, you can monetize your YouTube channel if you want. You've got, you meet the requirements. You've got a couple thousand subscribers and you know, you're getting a few views on it. So you can, and I was like, well, that's like walking down the street and find a $5 bills line around. Why wouldn't you say that? Yeah. Go ahead. And then I had all these videos. We had several hundred uh, that we put on Facebook by then. And I said, well, I've got sold stock. I could put some of these over here on the YouTube channel and we'll see how they do. And uh, that was the, the uh, pivotal moment. Like it was um, from April until August by August. I was, um, had gone from asp being something where I'd occasionally make a buck here and there to make it some significant money um and then uh so that was through the end of 16. 17 beginning of 17 ASP became my full-time job and my pastor became my part-time job and it's just blown up from there uh 18 ASP became my solo job uh and today we have 1.63 million subscribers on the big channel we have a second channel too where i teach every day of the week uh, it's active self-protection extra here hopefully this week we'll crack 100,000 subscribers on aspects which would be awesome And the Facebook page is humming right along, almost 300,000 likes on on the Facebook page. And so I make my living on social media, which is kind of weird, but um, we get to teach literally millions of people every month. And sometimes when I tell people, you know, it's the most viewed YouTube channel in the world in the self-defense space. And and people go, what? You're not bigger than Hickok45. And I wow, I consider Hickok a gun channel, not a self-defense channel. No offense to him. Uh, but even that, I, I usually get more views every month than Hickok, even though he's got five million somewhat subscribers. Good for him on that. And uh, or Demolition Ranch, you know, Matt's got seven point six million subs or something crazy like that. But a lot of months we get more views than he does because they're very compelling. They show real life. So um, now I'm known. I'm I'm kind of the the known subject matter expert on how real life criminal violence happens.
0: And oh, absolutely. That's how I came to find you is so my background is working private security and I've been attacked by people with edge weapons and all sorts of different tools and something had come up on a group page somewhere or somebody was like, oh, look at this guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I was like, well, let me let me watch. And you did know what you were talking about. I've been in those situations enough to know as you were going through. I was like, he's spot on. Who's this Yahoo <laughs> saying that he doesn't know what he's talking about? So then I kind of, of course, went down the rabbit hole and started listening to more of what you were or dealing with. And, of course, because of my background, I'd been in hostage situations. I'd had multiple people try and stab me. I had significantly larger people try and stab me, uh, attack me, do all sorts of nasty things. I'd been choked on the job, all sorts of stuff. I could go on for stories for days. But the more I watched you, the more accurate your uh, what you were telling people was. And so I, I think I unfriended that person because I didn't know what they were talking about.
1: But uh it's a big internet and everybody has an opinion and and there's very few of it is the way there's a lot of a way, and like if you don't like me, I get it. I think I'm an idiot sometimes too. Go go find somebody you like better. It's cool.
0: (laughs) But yeah, no, I think I think that's one of the things that's best about your channel is that you offer so many realistic situations i mean they're not made up they're not created they're not whatever these are situations that have actually happened um and people get to see how actual violence is done and it's not just somebody's word they can see it with their own eyes they can see it locally they can see it internationally they can see it a little bit of everywhere because especially in a dojo you get so many people who go well it happens like this or it happens over here it only happens there where this is this is stuff you can't deny. It's right in front of your face. You can tag where it's from. You know, it's from Florida, of course, right. Or wherever it might be. Florida man. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I I think that's really beneficial. And I think it forces people who are specifically only uh, in one camp or the other martial arts or gun to really understand you need both. You absolutely need both. Right. Because um depending on the situation which you don't get to dictate uh, right. you know one tool might be more prevalent than the other depending on use of force so and understanding that and why it's that way i mean is super important digging into some of the laws especially here in the united states when we have so many different laws of, you know just across counties let alone country uh let alone yeah,
1: states countries.
0: yeah um i think it's it's really important that you guys highlight so much of that and it's like i said it's so beneficial um With the huge, I mean, as you guys have just exploded, um, you guys are also doing some other big things. What are some of the big things you guys have coming up that you're really excited about?
1: The last couple of years, we've um, we've done what we call your Cover Your Ass Tour, where we go around the country and we teach live classes. Now, of course, we're not doing that right this minute with, uh, you know, the sheltering in place and the social distancing and those things. But we'll resume those once it's safe to do so. Where we travel all around the country and we teach um handgun classes mostly also um we will be beginning here doing some carbine stuff pretty quick because a lot of people are really starting to really think about that for home defense which is cool um so we teach live classes seminars church safety especially big deal to me and then we just started uh in february our first cohort for our instructor certification program uh and now this is a different program so i i have all kinds of instructor certs. when i got really after this and decided this was going to be my career I am a training junkie, so I have about a thousand hours in in gun school right now, Um, but my background, like I said, I was an educator, I I taught college for nine years, taught graduate school for five, I was a pastor for 14 years, so education is my core, it's really who I am, and so I come at this from that perspective, and most firearms instructors um, and firearms instructor certifications are really shooting tests, So, and I say that with great respect, okay? I have nothing but respect for all of the firearms instructor. I mean, I've taken stuff. I'm an NRA certified instructor in all their disciplines. I am a six hour academy certified instructor. I am a shootingperformance.com, Mike Seeklander, and Rich Brown firearms instructor. I am not just a range master certified firearms instructor and not just a range master advanced instructor. I am a range master master firearms instructor. I'm like the core, the plank owner group of the master firearms instructors. Uh, and I'm grateful for all of that. Most of that. Is teaching you how to shoot and teaching you how to shoot uh, better because there's a real lack. I see a lot of people with firearms instructors can't shoot very well. And you're like, dude, it's not that athletic an endeavor. Uh, that'd be like you, you know, at your club of golf school, right? And you're like, yeah, I can't do it, but I'm teaching. You. You're like, uh, uh, dude, like, are you kidding me right now? So um, th- you got that covered. What we decided though, what I really found is a, a place that was not well represented was teaching those people who are firearms instructors how to teach. And teaching them the art of instruction and teaching them things like when I ask a firearms instructor and say, so tell me, how do you ensure validity in your curriculum? How do you assess student learning outcomes? How do you design your curriculum and how do you manage your classroom and your range to ensure student learning outcomes? Uh, how do you measure student learning outcomes? And all those words and they go, oh my words, you're using words. I don't, those are English words, but I don't know what they mean. And so they just don't have that background. They don't understand curriculum design and they don't understand drill design and they don't understand student learning and adult learning modalities. They don't understand chunking and myelination. They don't understand physical skill development uh, just because they've never been taught. They just feel like, you know, because my background, when I come out of the military, right, the guy who did the thing is now the teacher of the thing. And so go do the thing. And then, you know, uh, I joke that when you get your knife hand out, you know, and if, if I'm Uh, kind in words, and I, you know, all right, listen up, you know, you effers, and that's the call to order, and you go, that's great in the military, I get it, (laughs) but you can't really do that in the civilian world, you know, people paying you money, that gets a little bit, a little dicey. Some places they do, but I don't, so uh, we thought teaching teachers how to teach is a big deal, and so we just started our first cohort February 1st. The first cohort is killing it. We have a second cohort coming up later this year. So you work together with uh, 20 to 30 other instructors and we have you read five books and none of them are firearms related. And, but we teach you how to teach uh, first book is called what the best college teachers do. Another book called Talentate training, several others as well. Uh, the talent code where you learn the art of actually. Great making good stuff. Yeah, it's just a great, I mean, just like, Oh, Hey, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Hello. Um, So we we make them go through those and then ingest them. And then how is this going to affect the way that you teach? And so we teach learners and we teach them how to be continual learners and how to get continuing education. So it's a six month program and it, and most of it's from home. Most of it's in your area. Uh, you're going to be writing several, you know, you call them a book report if you want an after reading review, uh, that interacts with other students and is peer reviewed by their students and interacts with them on what they got, what you got, those things. Then we come together for one weekend, but I'm not teaching during that weekend. During that weekend, you're teaching, the students are teaching and you get, um, so if you have say 15 in your your uh weekend cohort you're going to get like 16 or 17 pieces of feedback on your 45 minute lesson that is written for feedback it has a very particular design to help you get better and then you're going to give 13 14 other uh critiques that says here's what you did well here's what you can improve on here's how your teaching went it's not about the curriculum it's about how you're doing things so um, I'm really excited about it. The Aspen Instructor Certification Program is a big deal. It's being run by my good friend, Samuel Middlebrook, uh, who is the Director of Instructional Development at Active Self-Protection. Um, we started as this little thing in my bedroom, and it, we now have seven employees. And I'm like, how did we get here? Like, wait, this is like a grown-up business. So, um, yeah, that's the big thing that's coming here in 2020, and we're the most excited about it.
0: And it's just a fantastic program. I, I love that you're really focusing on – teaching the teachers how to teach. Uh, That's just something we need more of and I think that's fantastic. And I know I emailed with Samuel back and forth just to understand more about the program that you're offering and kind of what that all entails. And uh, he was so fast about getting back to me and making sure he answered all my questions in detail. I mean, you can can tell that he's very, very excited about the program, extremely knowledgeable. I I just think uh, your team is just so invested in the best of ways. It's going to be, I mean, it's just, you're setting everybody up for success. I'm really excited to see where this program goes. Um, On that note, you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, your continued training and how you kind of progressed. I mean, you've started in one place and kind of gone to a lot of different places, which is fantastic. Um, But you know, you're, you're a tall guy. You're a very strong guy. You've got some great firearm skills. You've got, you know, uh, 14 years, uh, you know, in martial arts, you're now involved in this, uh, it sounds like a love-hate relationship sometimes with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um,
1: You've got to love ibuprofen, man. You're always hurt. Like in my <laughs> 40s, everything's broken all the time. <laughs>
0: um, wasn't there recently a, a situation with a guest uh, or uh, maybe you popped into a school and worked with uh, um, a professor somewhere else and there there became some hilarity from that? remember seeing something on your Facebook I remember exactly. You know, I, I,
1: I love training everywhere I go, right? Like, I'm happy to, to go and train. We went down to Brazil, and uh, I was down there visiting one of my sponsors, Magtech, and so, of course, if you're in Sao Paulo, Brazil, you gotta, you got to show up at, at Allianz, right? That's uh, Fabio Gergel's school. I mean, he's a, a world champion, and they make world champions, and, like, uh, one of the guys that works at Magtech uh, or at CBC rolls there. And so I'm rolling with this guy, and you come to realize, oh, he's a two-time Brazilian national champion. And he's rolling with me. I'm a white belt, no nothing. And, and so he's treating me like a kid. Look at this kitty. Oh, so nice. And I got, just got my butt handed to me and it's super fun. And, um, I was out in, uh, Thailand. So I went and visited some friends of ours who are missionaries in Thailand. They, they work, uh, rescuing underage girls from sex slavery. And, um, he rolls out there and I was rolling with their coach. Who's a great guy, a Brazilian, uh, high level competitor and so he's playing with me for four minutes right so if you've ever rolled in Brazilian jiu-jitsu at the end we call it a roll it's a it's a competitive match right so you're trying to gain position and then submission for four or five minutes depending on what you're doing and of course i'm a white belt he's a black belt he's playing with me for four minutes just utterly playing with me and then john looks at the clock and he goes one minute, and you saw uh, George look at the clock and like, okay, it's on now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choke this white belt out a few times, right? And so I was like, ah, and no kidding, man. So, so I tried to pass his guard, and, and I'm a big guy. Uh, I was bigger than him, heavier than him. And as I did, instead of like just kind of shucking my shoulder like I was trying to pass his leg, I shucked it with my elbow, and I popped him in his jaw, and I busted a tooth clean out of his head. So not exactly what you want to do is to go to somebody's jujitsu school and bust the coach in the face and break a, a tooth out of his hand. And now, I mean, you know, some people were like, uh, well, John, that's his responsibility. He should have been wearing his mouth guard. And I always wear a mouth guard when I roll because I, you know, i make money with this space. And so I don't want to be like Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies. But at the same time, this guy's living in Thailand and teaching jujitsu as a, you know, an outreach to the local kids and he ain't got that kind of money. So we took him down and got his tooth fixed and it cost me a thousand bucks to figure this stuff out. I'm like, Oh gosh, man, this is terrible. I'm never invited to roll back at that jujitsu school. Cause you know, George is just going to walk up and punch me in the face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is such a fantastic story. That's amazing. Um, that being said, I mean, as we're talking about, you continually train, you continually grow, you know, as a, as a tall guy with a lot of strength and a lot of skill sets. What is it that motivates you to continue to learn and continue to grow and continue to train without getting that attitude that so many people get? They have one or two skill sets. Oh, I was in the military. I have my concealed. I don't need anything else.
1: You know, I really think um, it starts and ends with, uh, first of all, a quest for knowledge is that we're never done growing and learning. Um, And uh, but I think even more than that, the example that's been set for me. Um, my teacher, Lawrence Robinson, who I respect so much and, uh, on, in every area of life, he's just really good. And Lawrence is a seventh degree black belt and, and he's been teaching for 43 years. And I catch that guy right now going to Kali seminars and he's not, a, he's not a Filipino martial artist. And I go, what are you doing? He goes, I don't know. I just want to be fun. I want to learn some nice stuff. And so I, you know, it's, it's an area I'm not familiar with. So I just go to this other guy on the other side of the valley who's a, an expert and I'm just going to take his seminars this weekend. So y'all have fun. And I was like, dude this guy who is could walk into any school anywhere in the world and have great respect is and he just shows up no belt no nothing just a a plain gi and a white belt and i'm like dude okay um and and then same thing like i want to be able to protect myself that's my biggest thing and so um 13 years of study in umas which is a derivative of Kempo, um uh we've kind of let some of those, if you got any Kempoists who are listening, we have let the techniques go. Uh, the techniques are owned by Ed Parker and his family, so we let those go and kept the principles. Uh, so, we made it a principle based art instead of a technique driven art. And so that we had to let the name go with it because people who are Kempoists who show up, they go, But this isn't Kempo. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, UMA stands for Universal Martial Arts Sciences. We're trying to just learn and grow. And 13 years of doing that, mostly standing art. The base is moving, maneuvering with your feet, using your hands to defend yourself, stay some groundwork, but really rudimentary, mostly staying on your feet or getting up. And I realized that left a big hole. That just left this huge hole. So if somebody, you know, the bad guy gets a vote, right? You watch the main channel and you see the bad guy gets a vote and not every fight goes to the ground, but when they do, they're real bad. And, and I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be stuck in that spot and go, what do I do now? So, uh, and then at Attitude First, where, we, where I study. Um, we have a world champion Jiu who teaches Jiu Jitsu twice. Uh, Josh Stockman is a, uh, a Nogi world champ, uh, and a, a world's champ. And you're like, this guy really knows what he's doing. And he's a heck of a teacher. And one, you know, competed in internationals and karate and those things and a heck of a nice guy. And so I was like, Man, I'm gonna go over and roll with Josh for a year and just get some knowledge and some training. And I'm at a, almost a year right now. And, uh, it's just fun. It's, you said love, hate, and it is love, hate because you'd always come home and like, Oh, everything hurts. And what's wrong with me? And like, I choked me out of this way, but it's, it's just fun to go learn and be among your friends and have a good time and, and uh, not worry about your ego. You know, the fun part of, uh, I think of jujitsu for me is that especially as a white belt, man, and I'm a one stripe white belt right now. Okay. i a year one stripe white belt and you just get your butt whipped all day long. You just get worked. Um, and a guy or a gal, you know, I, I have a friend, Candice stump, and she has a high level purple belt. She's got a brown belt waiting for her. And I'm probably a hundred pounds heavier than she is. And it is literally, if I use every bit of strength I have and every bit of dirty tricks, I can mostly keep her from sub- submitting me. Mostly, not all, <laughs> not all. Okay. Mostly. I, I, and that is me just fighting with every bit of my being to not get submitted. I'm not threatening her. I'm not, you know, she's not scared of me. She's just wondering, can I, oh, there it is. There's the thing. Oh, I'm going to choke him here. No. Okay. He got it. Okay. Next one. And uh, geez. so it, it's a beautiful thing because it does size matters. They have weight classes for a reason. Yep. Um, but it, you know, if, if you are highly skilled, it don't matter near as much as you think. Cause I get choked out by 160 pound guys all the time.
0: Yep. Oh, so, Absolutely.
1: It's mostly a, that's what it really is. It's a quest for excellence. I think also there's some, not pressure, not pressure in a bad way, but pressure in a good way that says, look, if if I'm going to teach people and say, you need to be able to do this, then I got to be eating what I'm cooking. I got to be smoking what I'm selling. And um, so I have to be good at it. Uh, Also, there's always this thing in the back of my mind that some idiot is going to go, oh, that guy talks a big game and he says he can defend himself. And I'm going to go get a drink of that and see what happens. Uh, you know, and, and of course I don't want that. I'm, I'm, I'm a man of peace, you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. So I'd rather just apologize if I can get out of that fight by, you know, shaking somebody's hand or I guess bowing right now or saluting, you know, we're not touching each other. But, um, uh, but if I, God forbid had to, um, yeah, I mean, I feel pretty good, uh, in a fight standing or on the ground with, with most people.
0: Well that's awesome. You know, I am of the same mindset, you know, we want to avoid that as much as possible. We actually used to have shirts that we would wear to class pretty regularly that said violent when necessary, right? right. Only when necessary, not all the time, right? We don't walk around with an ego and and okay, I know this skill set, whatever. And just like you, you know, in that mindset of continually being ready for, you know, whatever situation, wherever that situation might take us, because you know, we, we just don't know. Um, and I think that's an important part that you highlight, especially in your videos, is, you know, it doesn't matter man, woman, child, size, strength, stature, skill set, whatever, right? Anybody, anywhere could be attacked at any time, given the right situation. And I think that's an important thing for people to remember. It's great if you have one or two skill sets that doesn't cover the whole spectrum. So, you know, complacency and, and too much ego in ourselves can get us really in a lot of bad situations that we can't find ourselves out of. Um, <clears throat> on that note, you, you talked a little bit about, um, some of the folks that you've trained with. I mean, the amount of people from different backgrounds, I mean, Masada, you, uh, uh, Doug Markaida, I mean, Tatiana Whitlock, like, I mean, there's like the, like the, the group of people, I mean, that just you list uh, of people that you've trained with are so vast and extensive from different areas of self-defense and hand-to-hand combat and firearms, um, it, it's we could sit here and talk about all those people all day, but my big, really burning question is, with all of those big names, who surprised you most by delivering more?
1: more okay, than- that's a great that's a great question. And I would say uh, of everybody, if you go on my my uh, bio on on my website, you know, I list some of the more influential folks that I've trained under who I consider to be mentors and uh, those things. and and uh, you know, I, man, I live a charmed life. to get to to train under all these people is is something else. Uh, You know, and some you've learned more from and some less, but the one who has over-delivered, I think the class that is the sleeper in there is a guy who's not far from you. Uh, And his name is Gabe White. And Gabe White's pistol shooting solutions class is unbelievable. Like uh, the amount of information you get there is mind boggling. So uh, first of all, watching Gabe work, the guy from concealment can get seven yard A-zone hits uh, from concealment in 0.7 seconds all day all day and just hammer ace uh and gabe is just like he looks like just like a dad he's got like a dad bod and but he's a martial artist as well and and also the funny part is is he does uh, edm beats on the side for fun he's just the weirdest guy and he's so fun and uh teaches very well so i would definitely put gabe up there as over deliver like crazy i think if you want to learn appendix carry of all the guys that I have trained with, Appendix Carry and Red Dot, Scott Jadlinski over delivers like crazy. Those classes you will get a lot out of. Scott is a probably the best diagnostician I've ever seen. So in other words, what I mean by that is a lot of people say, well, just do this. But then if they don't know what you're doing and they go, wait, you're doing this and why are you doing this? Because Scott is a martial artist as well. And I find that the guys and gals who come to the shooting sports through the martial arts, they understand body mechanics and they understand physiology and uh, human learning in a way that a lot of pure firearms folks don't understand. Now, I'm not disparaging firearms folks, and I'm not saying just because they're just firearms people that they don't know those things. I know some guys who are incredible teachers in that arena. Uh, but Scott definitely has a way to diagnose. Um, I also think if I had a, had a third to put in there, and, and I, I know I'm going to have 10 friends who are mad at me because they didn't make this list, and I could list 100 of them. Uh, probably the best teacher of firearms in America, in my opinion, the best at transferring information and knowledge and skills to students is Brian Hill from the Complete Combatant Fusion MMA. Um, Brian is, uh, first of all, one of the finest human beings you'll ever meet. Second of all, he is able to transfer information and teach in a way that is uh, open and accessible to students, but very technical when you get to those technical levels. Heck of a competitor as well uh, in, in jujitsu, as well as MMA, as well as shooting sports. Um, and uh, so walks the walk as well. And and so when you're talking about when it's time to learn, when I want to do something, one of the first people I'll call is Brian. When I go, hey, Brian, can I send you a video or something? Can you help me diagnose this problem? Or Scott, Gabe as well. So those would be the three that you're like, man, those guys, if, if they're in your area, don't hesitate. Take the class.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, um, you know, I really greatly appreciate your time coming here and chatting with us, spending some time talking about just all the amazing things that you're doing over at Active Self Protection and how it's continuing to grow and you're educating everybody. I mean, not just here in the U.S., but you know, internationally. And uh, it's just such a, pr- a great program. I know you guys also have a uh, Patreon page.
1: Yeah. So we don't do Patreon, but I do have a patron membership program on my website. So I, you know, I looked at it and Patreon, I don't like how they kind of disallow contact between the, uh, or or understanding who your users are. So I'm like, nah, it's just another social media platform to manage. I'm good. So we do that on our website. um, And that's a crazy thing. A lot of people have asked me that, like, John, why don't you put your content behind a paywall? And, because it's worth something and you could make a ton more money if you did that. And and that might be true, but I prefer to give it away. I prefer to tell people, these are the realities of things. And if you want to contribute because you want to help me pay the staff, I would be super grateful for that, but it's yours to have for nothing.
0: Uh, and I think that's really, that's really awesome. I think that adds a whole lot of value in its own. Um, as, aside from all the stuff we've talked, is there anything that you're really excited coming up or things that you can share with our listeners that uh, they can look for you at soon or uh, stuff that you're, well, you know, come? a lot of
1: the, a, a lot of the uh, events coming up got canceled, you know, because uh, of that stuff I was supposed to be this weekend at the USCCA expo, yeah. the annual meetings. I was actually, has to be one of the uh keynote trainers they were actually doing classes this year at the NRA annual meeting so we'll see that the big one i would say in september uh we have our active Self protection national conference we are doing our our third national conference at Tallgrass shooting sports in manhattan kansas uh september 25th twenty sixth, 27th this year it's the last weekend in september uh hopefully everything will be kind of over by then and we can all get together that would be great um that's not the best part of that it is a friday saturday sunday three days of training handguns, classroom, rifles, shotguns this year. Um, we are going to have some mats to do some uh, empty-handed skills training. I am hoping to get some munitions and set up a shoot house so that we can do some force-on-force um, uh, force evolutions for people, which would be tons of fun. Um, and uh, it's all to benefit the Flint Hills Foster Team Camp, so we try to um, – Mike and Lisa Irvin, who own Tallgrass Shooting Sports in the Flint Hills Foster Teen Caps, they bring teens in who are abused and abandoned foster teens. And they give them hope and purpose and help them um, to make it in this life. You know, if, if you're a teen in the foster system, your chances of going to college are about 4%. Your chances of being homeless are about 35% at some time in your life. Your chances of substance abuse are about 25 to 30%. It's just a, a, a terrible handicap on life. And Mike and Lisa give these kids hope. And so uh, when we do our national conference, you don't actually pay me a penny and I don't see a penny of it. Uh, you make a donation to the Flint Hills Foster Teen Camp. And so then therefore uh, your donation, it's uh, $600 to come for the whole weekend. And that pays for one foster teen to attend a week of summer camp. <clears throat> and, um, and it also uh, donates some to hope, uh, Homes for Hope, which they, the kids who age out of the foster system, about 40% of them are homeless instantly. Yeah. And so uh, Mike and Lisa take those kids in <clears throat> and they give them a home and they teach them life skills and they help them get into college and get a job and get on their feet and get an apartment. Incredible stuff. Uh, and so uh, we do the the national conference fully a hundred percent of all proceeds go to, 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 the Flint Hills foster teen camp. So come and join us and you can find that on our website. It's a ton of fun. Last year we had 115 students and about 35 staff, some of the best instructors you could possibly get around. Um, you know, you get, you get blocks of instruction from uh, guys like AJ Zito, who is, uh, uh, you know, just an incredible firearms instructor and a custom gun builder. You get guys like Dave Laird, the owner of DCS training here in uh, Phoenix. You get uh, Samuel Middlebrook from active self-protection and Neil Widener. And uh, so, I mean, just so many trainers to list uh, Chuck Haggard from agile consulting and training comes and does his incredible stuff. We had Terry Johnson from Firearms Legal Protection this last year. We had uh, Brian Hill came and taught there, so that's one of the ways that you can come and train under Brian as well as his wife Stephanie. Um, Candace Stump, my friend, came and taught some jujitsu. It's I mean the 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 amount of instructors and the really high level of instruction that you get there is really second to none, and all the benefit and do a good cause. So come and join us.
0: Wow, that's that is so fantastic. That's uh, I just I love how passionate you are about that, and that's it's a great cause. We're gonna definitely have to link up some information on how to find all that obviously uh you know your website your youtube channel your facebook all that kind of stuff we'll go ahead and link here in the comments um but again i want to thank you for coming and talking with us and uh yes keep doing what you're doing it's greatly appreciated and uh it's it's a great training tool for those of us who are teachers
1: well thank you so much and appreciate really appreciate the encouragement all right
0: uh we'll talk again soon and uh all you listeners and followers stay tuned we've got more coming for you.